Therapy is about no matter how often you go, no matter how much you watch or listen to, every single time, get something. Get a little nugget. And if you get enough nuggets that you can form the word, I can, now you can move forward. You're going to gain something if you will listen with your heart. Because your heart needs something. And it's out there. But you just, sometimes the noise, the static, as I like to say, the static can really make you deaf and unfocused. And I think it's that moment that we take, you know, to breathe in and just say, I need this and just let it come to you. I'm a diamond that has been broken a million times over. And yet every one of those fractures allow me to shine brighter than any normal diamond could ever shine. In 2017, I had it all, but it was a world built on a secret that I didn't want to deal with and could no longer contain. And that's when it all came crashing down. You can't stay in the closet when the floor gives way. This is Falling Out. Welcome to this episode of Falling Out. I am your host, Brian Kennedy. Joining me across the table is my fabulous co-host, Coleman Charles. Howdy, howdy. Boy, do we have a treat for you today. We are honored to have a special guest, a well-known guest on our show today. It is from the Real Housewives of Dallas, Lee Ann Lockett. Now, if you've been to Dallas charity events or you've been working in the LGBT community, you probably have seen Lee Ann Lockett because her presence is very well known in a lot of the charities that, that I've participated in, a lot of the events that we've gone to together. She was actually in the audience of my comedy show when I did stand up <laughs> at SMU. So she came probably not to see me, probably to see Leslie Jordan, but she was there. And so I, I've had a lot of run-ins, uh, good run-ins, positive run-ins, interactions with Leanne. So we are excited to have her on the show. Coleman, what do you know about Leanne Lockett? So I don't know a lot. I've obviously seen her on The Real Housewives of Dallas. I'm really excited to see the person when the cameras are off. So Leanne Lockett, for those of you who don't know, has an international television career as a TV host, actress, and reality TV star. She has been featured in numerous national magazines, such as People, U.S. Weekly, OK Magazine, and Page Six, and on several national and international TV shows, including TMZ, Extra, E! News, and UK Daily Mail TV. She has a huge U.S., U.K., and Australian following, having been the breakout star of Bravo's Real Housewives of Dallas and TV Land's She's Got the Look. Leanne shares her love for travel, fashion, and a healthy lifestyle for her over 1 million followers on Instagram. She is a huge advocate for mental health, animals, child abuse and domestic violence, and the LGBTQ plus community. Her audience loves what she stands for and how she lives her life as an example for good. We here at Falling Out also love what she stands for and how she lives her life for an example for good. We're going to get into a lot of things, maybe some things housewives, maybe even talk about some future projects or hint at a few that could be coming up down the road. So you want to stay tuned and listen to this episode. So please help me in welcoming Leanne Locken. Leanne, thank you so much for being here today. I am so excited to be here. We, we want to promote a lot of what you're doing in the community, but before we get to that, I think a lot of us know you either in the community or we know you from a little popular television show that was out there. But 
let's talk about you. Okay. Like, where did you come from? Houston. You know, and, 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 and kind of that. Bay Shore Hospital in Pasadena. <laughs> kind of that process of like, how did you get to here? Sure. And so I just want to start off. You can start off, you know, as early as you want. And I also want to explore what drew you to working with LGBT people, being an activist, being an ally, and, and just all that fabulousness. So I'm going to just throw that out there and say, here we go. Okay, so I'm going to sum it up pretty quick and short. When I was a child growing up, my first boyfriend, bless his heart, Arthur Warnock, he's gay now. He was gay back then. He just didn't know it. And I, I was trying my best. Apparently, I still haven't turned a single one. So Arthur Warnock was my boyfriend at the time. His older brother had already come out, Tony. Well, he hadn't come out, but... He was already living a gay lifestyle. And, you know, back then when I was a teenager, that was when T Tony contracted HIV very early. And that was when they had the port into the heart and all the cords just leading straight, you know, pumping medication straight into your heart and your bloodstream trying to... They, back then they just didn't know enough about HIV. Or if they did, Houstonians didn't have the information about it. And I watched Tony Warnock, who was this incredibly powerful personality, larger than life, shrink away to nothing and die in shame. And at that point, I just sort of said, I'm never going to watch anyone I love again die in shame, you know, with a lack of dignity. I mean, because back then, you know, when you, you know, HIV back then was like the plague. I mean, you know, if someone had it, you didn't want to touch them. You didn't want to hug them. You didn't, you know, and, and I never understood that and never cared about that. I cared about the person that I loved. So that's how I became involved in LGBTQ. You know, I just was decided at that point that this was something I was going to stand up for, you know, and uh, I think I was like 15 and I just said, I'm just not going to go through this again. And I'm going to do the best I can to make sure that no one else that I know or that can hear my voice goes through this like this. So at that time, you're 15, you're in Houston. How do you or, or what were you wanting to do with your life at that time? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, I joke about this sometimes. My The first job I wanted as a kid was trash man only because I love <laughs> to go outside in the morning and watch the guy punch the button on the truck and it would crush all that. And I was like. I want to do that. And mom was like, we need to rethink some priorities. <laughs> Your mom was smart. <laughs> she, she, I mean, my priorities have changed. Yeah, that's good. But like, who who were you as 15-year-old Leanne? And how does it translate into the career you've had? Like, how? Did, what's the path? You know what? Honestly, so when I was young, all I ever wanted to do was television. I just wanted to perform. My mother, growing up, used to call me a little Sandra Bernhardt. Not the comedian, but the actress. Okay. For those of you who are babies and don't know that there was an actual Sandra Bernhardt, she was a very dramatic actress. So my mother used to call me little Sandra Bernhardt. And so I just always wanted to act. I mean, I was always clearly wanted to model and act. I got into it because my Arthur, my quote, air quote boyfriend, wanted to get into photography. And he took pictures of me, you know, modeling. But I still have it with a rose in my mouth and a red dress against a wall. I was just very, you know, if, if very could, dramatic. If we yeah. could get that photo on oh post my God, on our I website. Would, no, I would die. I would die. <laughs> 
So anyway, he sent that into the Miss Houston pageant. I got into pageants, which then led to modeling, which then led to acting, which then led to television, which then led to reality TV. And that leaves my old ass sitting here talking to you. (laughs) Well, and and that's a hard path. I mean, because, you know, you hear that often, you know, everybody, I I was in theater in high school and we're all talking about this is the career we want, but then what? Or I've seen some of my former students go out to LA and then quickly come, come back. back with their tail between their legs. Sure. So it's like, how, you know, it, what, do you feel like this was luck? Was that, what was that oh, thing God, that no. just opened all the doors for you? There was never a thing that opened all the doors. I beat those damn doors down. There were some doors I would walk into. Like when I lived in Chicago, I loved working in Chicago because there was no such thing as a casting couch. You know, I did everything. I remember Playboy magazine, like, made this sweet photographer, Dennis, like Dennis had to cater me lunch. I used to do, I just found an ad. I used to do a lot of what they called editorials for Playboy magazine. And that was where like, it was an ad, you know, like the story was about a man cooking for his woman and how romantic that is and how quick it'll get you into her underwear. And so I would be the woman, you know, at the dining room table with the man holding her back in a dress, mind you, not bra and panty, but, and and Playboy just, just like, loved me and wanted me to shoot for Playboy. They they got to the point where they were like, they pushed a contract in front of me that said, they will shoot it tastefully. I can choose the images that would be in the magazine. And I still, they offered me like quarter of a million dollars. I still at that time in my mind said no, because my grandmother was alive. And I just knew that would break her heart. Yeah, It was bad <laughs> enough how I was living my personal life that she didn't know about it. But right. I didn't need her do it publicly. You but know? that's the same contract they put in front of Pamela Anderson. Right, but she signed it. Yes. Well, I mean, and we all are at a different place at different times. And, you know, I will say, God, if they asked me now, I'd be like, babe, come on, (laughs) shoot it all. Where do you want me to bend over? But then again, you know, it's a different time now where it's empowering. It is. It can be. Can be. So anyway, yeah, you know, no, there was no easy road to where I was. I remember the first time I was in L.A. going to an audition and there was just this line of women down this hall in these chairs. And, you know, the majority of them had little Playboy bunny necklaces on and, you know, they were all giggling and talking and. And I've never been one to fit in with girls. I just don't. I'm very much, I know people don't realize this about me. I'm very much an introvert. I am, my career is to be extroverted. I am naturally an introvert. So I sit very quietly waiting for my turn to audition. And you go in and, and you know, you, the director sees you and he's like, you know, so how bad do you want this job, little girl? And I'm like, Honey, I left my knee pads at home. There's like 20 other women out there with Playboy bunny necklaces on. Go for it. And I got up and started to walk out. And he goes, are you sure you want to do this? And I went, it's too sweet for your taste. And I left. (laughs) In my life, I've been one of those people that if you tell me what to do, it'll be the (laughs) coldest day in hell before it happens. But if you ask me to do something, I would go above and beyond. And I've just always been like that. You know, I've always been like that. So what was the career like prior to landing Real Housewives? Real Housewives wasn't the first reality show I'd ever done. I did She's Got the Look on TV Land. And that was a big eye-opening. That was my first 
experience with reality TV and being sequestered in a condo in New York with, you know, X number of other women competing as models for things. And I, and I, wow, that was an eye opener. And I really thought after doing that and then, you know, mixing in a little bit with Big Rich Texas and doing, I think, uh, Tara had asked me once to come on um, Most Eligible. I really felt like I'd had enough experience around reality TV that I could handle this. And let's just face it, you can't. There's no handling the person who's editing. You are, you're not in the room when he takes out the part where you beg and just puts in the hello F off. And there's that whole 20 minutes of you going, please, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to do this. But, you know, that's not what they show. So they have complete control. Working in television myself for a while as an editor, especially like even just looking at camera angles and how to shoot things and how to set a shot. Like every time I watch reality, I'm like, that's not real. No. Like that's And you know it though. But you know it. And, and. The sad part is the majority of the audience has no clue. I posted a, a page six article on my Instagram recently, and some woman came on there and was like, who cares? You're a horrible woman. You sent the video to Brandy's daughter of her husband cheating on her. And I, I, I you know, every now and then I just delete them. Most of the times I just delete them and block. But that time I was like, you know what? Your ignorance is showing. And by that, I mean your ignorance is showing. You're not a stupid human. You're ignorant. That means you're uneducated. Uneducated to the fact that I posted how many text messages from Brandy that said she knew it wasn't me. Because Deandra Simmons goes on national television and tries to blame me for everything wrong in her life doesn't mean it's the actual fact. With that in mind, like, what is what do you think? This is kind of an opinion question. What do you think is the appeal to reality? I mean, I... There's some reality shows. For the shows. audience or the people who want to be on it? Both. Both. I mean, I think... Ask me directly and I'll answer directly. So, like, what is the appeal for you having wanted to be on a reality show? My only appeal, and you can ask everyone this, you can even ask Steve Noviello, because when he found out I was doing it, I walked up to him and his wife at St. Valentine's Luncheon, yeah. and he said, I hope you're not offended by what I wrote. And I said, I, I'm, I didn't see what you wrote. What'd you write? And his wife said, she wrote, he, someone he really admires and respects, I'm afraid, just signed a deal with the devil. And I said, you know, Steve, I did. And I'm going to tell you why. Jesus nailed himself to the cross for how many people? If I have to go on a reality TV show and get lied about, mis- misrepresented, And yet there's a certain percentage of the audience who has anger issues, has abuse issues, has HIV and doesn't know what to do. And I can lead them for five minutes to a better life. How am I not following in Jesus's footsteps? And the only reason I did the show was for that. Yeah. To help. Why, why do you feel like our society, it does gravitate to the reality. I mean, I grew up, I'm much older, so it's like, I'd rather sit at home and watch reruns of Gilligan's Island or something else. I know, else a right? Lot of or times. the Love Boat. Yeah. Don't you miss the Love Boat? I do miss Fantasy the Love Island. Boat. Fantasy Island. To play! Yeah, all of that, <laughs> I think that and Charlie's Angels was our oh Saturday God. night at Saturday home growing night. up. Saturday yeah, night, yes. All three in a row. And yes. so, like, that's me, and I'm, I'm, of course, you know, I'm a very narrative, scripted, fictional type of person, 
So to me, with the exception of like watching RuPaul or watching, you know, a few. But like, RuPaul is a performance. Right. You are enjoying right. their performance exactly. and the judging of the performance. Yeah. And, and with American Idol and stuff like that, too. Like those were the things I kind of gravitated to. So when the big reality thing hit, I went, I don't get it. Well, and like, I, why do I want to see this? I will tell you, I think after COVID and during COVID, a lot of the a lot, a majority of Americans agree with you. They yeah. don't want to see the petty, because that is my nonsensical. Life. Yeah. Well, and that's just it. Like you know, but they also don't. What they what they want to do is they want to be transported to a world that they could never live. Which I think is why Beverly Hills will always have a place on television. But you look, New York is gone. I mean, mm -hmm. I know they yeah. say they're going to reboot it. Well, they better reboot it with some people with money because the only reason people even dream of watching reality now is to see how the other half live. Right. Yeah. Or the how the, what is uh, it, 1%, 1%. live, <laughs> yeah. you know? I think the biggest problem with Dallas and why Dallas really didn't do well, number one was because none of the other girls wanted after that first season and I got all the press, it just became an issue of they really thought that I was on the show in my mind going, how can I get more press? How can I, I look, I'm just trying to keep my head above water, y'all. I, yeah, I don't know about you, but I cannot breathe underwater. Yeah. So, I mean, I was just like, you know, doing anything I could swim. And, and because I was being put in such um tumultuous situations I was reverting back to childhood reasoning you know and letting all of my old ways of surviving come back out which of course made for even more dramatic television you know thank god I finally got into the right therapist and got worked it through but Dallas didn't work because Dallas was run by a liberal LA production company and aired on a liberal New York City network and the not a single cast member on our show was a full-blooded liberal. And they kept telling me, I kept saying to them, well, this is how we do things. And they'd be like, I don't believe you. And I'm like, well, stuff it in your pipe and smoke it. I don't care if you believe me or not. I freaking live here. I think that's a perception over any kind of Texas television shows. Oh, all of I it. mean, you know, you go back and watch Dallas. It's like some things, not all. Just the idea of, you know, do you ride your horse to work? Oh, my God. Do we wear, all wear cowboy? Y'all right. don't have your cowboy hats on today. Right. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so I, I think don't even there, think I own one. There is that perception. I mean, even like the show, and I, I wonder if this was a real lead up for your show, the Christian Chenoweth show, Good Christian Bitches. Oh, my, my which best, I love that show. That's actually a Kim, Kim Gatlin, Darren Star show. And Kim Gatlin is a very good friend of yeah. mine. <laughs> I and, loved it. And, I was and, so mad when it disappeared. And, you know, they've, they're, they are in, still in in talks to do some additional things. I know I'm probably not supposed to say that. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. You know, that was, and, and you know, what's so funny is when I got cast in the pilot of that show, when I showed up for the table read, I had no idea Kim who I knew had written it. So I sit, you know, listen, I think people think I boldly walk into a room and think I'm just supposed to be in the star seat. This is how it worked at the table read of GCB. I walked in, they had, at the Ritz-Carlton, they had two tables at the front in like a reverse V, and, um, and then they had an audience seat. I sat in the very last seat by the door. So that if I needed to quickly haul ass, I could. <laughs> Thinking, you know, table read. I'm just supposed to w watch other people read. And this man walked over and put his hand on my shoulder. And he goes, hi, are you Leanne? And I said, oh, I am. Hi. And he goes, hi, I'm Darren. No clue at that point that that was Darren Starr. And he goes, we have a seat for you at the front of the room. And I was like, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm Leanne Lockin. And he goes, 
yes, we have a seat for you at the front of the room. But see, that's not what Bravo portrayed because that's they never wanted to show that part of me, right. you know. And that, but that's it. And then I saw Kim, and I was like, Kim was like, Leanne, what are you doing here? And I was like, I got a part. What are you doing here? And she goes, I wrote the book. And I was like, Oh my god! Oh my god! Well, tapping into that point you just made. So obviously, you know, a lot of us know you from the show. I mean, I, I know you differently because we work together in the community Grateful on a lot of events. Grateful for everyone who knew me before the show. But I wonder, you know, I, I guess when you're talking about that scripted reality, they're trying to create a persona. It's not just everybody in the room. We've got to make a villain. We've you got have to have to a have bad a guy. Villain. How much of Leanne from Real Housewives is the Leanne Locken that's sitting in front of me? I mean, I'm not going to say none of it, but everything I said, no matter how they edited it and put it together, came out of my mouth. Have I had anger issues? A million percent. I have PTSD. I have severe PTSD. Whether they wanted to admit that or not, I begged them to uh, follow me to the brain center. I begged them to, to let make all the other girls take the ACE test. I don't know if, if you've ever taken the ACE test, yeah. but it's ACE test. If you Google it. It's, it's adverse childhood experience. It's 10 questions, yeah. and uh, I'm a 10. 10s usually don't live past their 30s. So I'm very proud of where I am and what I've survived and what I've done. The fact that the other girls constantly disrespected my past, treated me like it was no big deal, I should get over it. Yeah just shows their lack of empathy, especially Stephanie. I mean, she was a, worked with the orphanage. She was a child, uh, what do you call that? Like a child, child advocate? Yes, yeah. And I mean, you would think for someone who works with children could see an adult child response. But, you know, I mean, it is what it is. And the reality is, listen, I am proud of who I am. Do I use the C word? Yes. <laughs> Nowhere in the Bible does it say I can't say C, F. It does say we shouldn't take our Lord's name in vain, so I do try to reserve the GD for moments of severe pain, like a broken toe, elbow, arm. I do also firmly believe that I'm a child of God and that my nature in life is to help. Like, that's I'm a protector. I always have been. Look who I married. I married the city's biggest protector. I married a SWAT operator. Honestly, that is just never going to change who we are, you know? We're an odd little couple, and we live peacefully and happily in our half-acre home in Preston Hollow. Are you willing to talk about any of the adverse childhood experiences? Of course. To, I, I mean, talk about all of it. Yeah, I'm like, a little, I have a little extra R-H-O-D-P-T-S-D because of the whole, <laughs> like, you know, oh, yes, Leanne, we all know your story. Right. You know what? And yet, do you know what? If you asked any of them how, how was Leanne abused, you know they couldn't answer that question because they have no clue. None. I remember one time my best friend, Patsy, Arthur's younger sister was on the phone with me because our abuser was dying of cancer and she was, it was her father and she was uh, struggling to, he'd never met her children and he, she was struggling. Should I take my children in and called me and we were on the phone crying and talking about it. And Brandy and Stephanie were tweeting nasty shit about me. And I was like, stop it. And then they were texting me and I was like, stop it. I'm in the middle of something. And then finally, when I was done with it, I called them back and I said, this is what I was going through while you two were being drunk children. 
I got a temporary I'm sorry, and then it went right back to it. You're a, a big advocate of mental health issues. Huge. I have mental, I have dep severe depression I struggle with. I have tried to commit suicide several times. It's very easy for me to go down a rabbit hole. I do take medication for my depression. And I also, when I see people who I know are suffering, I would give my left arm to raise them up and make them laugh. I also think that's why I became so funny was because I wanted to be, I wanted to be the jester of, of sad people. Oh, yeah. And it's also, you know, defense mechanism. It's like, if I can make everyone else happy, then therefore I should be happy. And, and probably a lot of that too. I agree. You know, going back, we, we, you talked, kind of mentioned the abuse. You kind of mentioned the PTSD. You even mentioned being in therapy. What was it for you? Because I think our listeners who might be dealing with the same things or struggling, who feel hopeless, who feel like they, they can't connect to that thing. What is it that got you through? God. How so? My grandmother always said as a child to me, to worry was a sin because it means you didn't have faith that God already had your plan. God's already had all of our plans written out. We may take a vein off and, and go down some rocky road to get back to the vein that he wants us to be on, but our fates are already written. So why not go gracefully into the wind? Why not take the storm and say, do your best. Do Damage me more if that's what you need from me right now. But tomorrow I will rise, I will smile, I will breathe, and I will again do my best. My favorite Bible verse is Acts 2.25. I've pitched my tent in the land of hope. I am one of the most hopeful people on the planet that we will all find what we need, each of us, to feel that serenity, you know, that peace that comes with his blessings. You know, I often, I often tell my clients when I'm in the office, and it's a quote. I don't I don't know where I saw it. I don't know who said it. So if you're listening, I apologize. But it's the quote that says, both hope and worry are imaginary things. They are. But only one will keep you afloat through a storm. It's so true. It's so true. So for you, like you mentioned therapy, what was it? How did therapy work for you? What did you get out of it? How does it help you now? I still, I mean, I'm still in therapy. I go still once a month to do my, you know, checking in on you. How you doing? <laughs> Ther I've been through therapy since I was a child. I mean, you have to remember my mother left me with my grandparents when I was three and I watched that abandonment happen. Like I literally watched my mother turn around and walk out of the house and leave me. And so as an adult, my biggest fear is being abandoned. Yeah, being abandoned. And so that's a real thing for me, which is probably why it took me 10 years before I got married, because I was like, yeah, let's see how long you hang out. Right. Okay. <laughs> you yeah. make it 10 years. It's I'll a, think about marrying you. Yeah, yeah I mean, for sure. Jump all the hurdles. A hundred percent. And I was a hurdler. <laughs> <laughs> Therapy is about no matter how often you go, no matter how much you watch or listen to every single time, get something get a little nugget. And if you get enough nuggets that you can form the word I can, now you can move forward. And that's it. There's ne it's never a waste to watch empowerment YouTube videos or listen to positive podcasts or mental illness. You're going to gain something if you will listen with your heart. Because your heart needs something. And it it's out there. 
but you just sometimes the noise the static as I like to say the static can really make you deaf (laughs) and unfocused and I think it's that moment that we take you know to breathe in and just say I need this where do I find it Lord and just let it come to you you mentioned static I like that that thought and especially during your times you know where you're very high profile on a reality show, the negativity, the vitriol. I mean, I know we say never read the comments, but hey, we're also curious. And you shouldn't be, because that that (laughs) should keep you up. That'll laugh you up. But like dealing with that negativity when you were in it, did that contribute to your- Depression? Well, depression, but also the decision to leave, to go, I don't need this anymore. No, I don't think it was the audience who helped me decide. I think it was the fact that no matter how hard- I tried with my other cast members. I was never going to be received by them. It just wasn't something that they wanted. They wanted me from from season one. They wanted me off the show because they felt like they weren't going to get the airtime without with me being on there because I always had something to say. Well, it turns out me always having something to say is what kept the show going. I'll be honest. I'm, like I said, I'm not a huge reality person. But there's not anyone else on that show that I could really see in a room and go, oh, that's so-and-so, but you. Exactly. Or know their name. Nationally, know their name. I mean, that's the thing about it. It's like, you know, and I think that that upset a lot of my cast a lot of times. I mean... I mean, they even showed my, I think it was in style or forget what magazine did a two page spread on me. And it, it, it came out the Friday before the reunion, or the Friday we filmed the reunion. So of course they've got this two page spread that says they can't do it without me. Well, that wasn't my title. It wasn't in quotes. I didn't say that in the interview, but my cast was just so not used to press that they didn't really know how press manipulates the conversation. Well, and do you think too, because it's because you are so beautiful and talented and you are so sweet. Okay, I'll marry you. (laughs) But I mean, do you like why do you think that it is that, or do you think it's because of those things that people feel like they can attack you and you're not going to crack? I will, I will tell you that this, and this goes back to my the first morning after I was physically abused as a child. I remember I sat on the curb with the fire hydrant behind me and the drain right here, and I thought to myself, if I wasn't so pretty, this wouldn't have happened to me. And from that day forward, every compliment I got about my looks was a, it was a little bit of a dagger in the back because, and I, and I know people didn't realize right. that, but for me, I also think that's why I became like, you know, look at my jazz hands. Cause I was like, I don't want to be pretty. I don't, I never wanted to, and yet I chose modeling and well, all of that, yeah, which I mean, highlighted can, right, it. Right, but I mean, it's... But I used what I had to make a living. Right. Or I could still be on the carnival or selling shoes at Margot's, but, you know, it wasn't what I wanted. I wanted to have a bigger life. I wanted to reach... A, I've always wanted to reach a bigger audience, a bigger amount of people. And do you think that's what pushed you all those years, is just knowing that, you know, looks isn't... They weren't what you wanted to be known for. You wanted to be known for more and, than just that. And yet I'm not to this day known for my looks. I'm known for my mouth. (laughs) And it has gotten me in a ton of trouble. But I refuse to silence it. And how I speak may offend people, but those people didn't survive what I did. So I think think the biggest part of what, as humans, we can do for one another is leave it up to God to do the judging. And maybe instead of, you know, taking aim at someone— 
think about what might have led them to that point. Walk in their shoes. You know, it's an old saying, walk in their shoes. But so few people even try to do it these days, you know. And, and I loved when Robin Williams came out and said, most comedians are dying inside of sorrow. And, and he's right. When I did stand up for the little bit that I did, I did it because I was so depressed and I didn't know how to be confident again. And I thought if I just get up on stage and say this stuff. Make an then, ass of yourself. Then maybe. Because yeah. I, I do remember, I, I think Brad, our, our mutual friend, he came and saw the very first show I did. And he told me later, he said, I looked at my husband and I said, wait, is Brian funny? Like, have we ever heard him actually tell a joke <laughs> out loud? Like, well, I mean, I'm going to go to support him, but what do we do? You know? <laughs> and, and then told me later, it's like, we were just all like in shock of like, oh my God. But I was being very vulnerable and I was coming from a place of hurt that I was going, I've got to do something to get back on my feet. And so comedy for me was me standing on and saying, here I am, exposed, this is me raw, naked. vulnerable. We're very uncomfortable exposing ourselves. Even when, you know, to do it on stage is one thing because sure. you disguised it as comedy, right. as stand-up. Right. But the truth is, something that God has always given me is the ability to stand where I am, sit wherever I am, and be vulnerable and be open and be honest. And it makes people very uncomfortable. But until we all really get to a point where sharing our tragedies, people have to learn when we share our tragedies, we are connected. Yeah. It connects us at a level that saying hi and I forgot your name, it goes beyond that. I follow a Instagram account that constantly shares PTSD stuff. And they say, you know, people who have survived childhood tragedies, we're, we're not good at surface skating. Well, I really am not. Like if I've met you on a surface at a party and you come up to me three years later and you, hey, you remember I met you at such, I don't know, I'm sorry. But if you have shared a story with me that I connected to, I'll never forget you. And I hope that you'll never forget me. And so I learned a long time ago, break down, bear your soul. I'm a diamond that has been broken a million times over. And yet every one of those fractures allow me to shine brighter than any normal diamond could ever shine. Talking about mental health and coming back around to that. So there's obviously this, this push in our country. I mean, some of it's political, some of it's polarizing about the need for therapy that makes you weak. Why are you sharing your emotions? I know with clients, they often come in and they're like, why do I want to talk to a stranger? Especially when I'm working with adolescents. And I'm like, would you rather talk to someone who's going to show up at dinner tomorrow night? Yeah. You know, just to, to <laughs> let me help you through this. You can tell me stuff and then not see me. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. So, so I know, but like in our country, there's this stigma, this, you know, that makes you weak, like you said earlier especially I think among males or, or even, you know, different populations of color or things where it's like, this is not what we do. So what, with that in mind, what would you say to people about why the mental health piece is so important and why you have found so much help in therapy? What would, how do you encourage them to say, get off the couch and get into the therapist's office? I encourage people every day to get off their couch. If you are depressed let me give you a little word of advice from Tony Robbins. Motion creates emotion. So if you are sitting still in the dark, watching television, eating your feelings, 
when the sun comes out tomorrow and you walk outside and you're miserable because you don't look like what you want to look like, how about the next day we turn the TV off? I'm not saying you have to turn your lights on because it's like 100 and something degrees outside. (laughs) But get outside and walk. Put on a positive podcast and go sit under a tree where there's a breeze and just close your eyes and listen. Perspective. Until we change our perspective on mental health, whether that's a physical perspective or a mental perspective or an emotional perspective, mental health will always have a stigma. And the reality is it shouldn't. The reality is, look, you know, I made an ass of myself on national television. So me being able to say, you know, I'm mentally broken, people are like, yeah, we saw that. But we're all mentally broken. And until you can admit it, to yourself, quietly in the bathroom in the mirror. That's the first step. Second step, find someone you can trust. Most people feel that if they pay a therapist, they're more trustworthy. So, or find, you know, there's sliding scale therapists in the world. I mean, I remember when I was a young girl and I had zero money, I was paying $10 to go see a therapist, you know, because they had sliding scales. I think we need to make mental health have no stigma look what we did for hiv i mean come on i watch uncoupled you guys are like prep i'm good (laughs) i mean we took hiv and was like we destroyed it it has no power really you know what i mean and so we should do that for everything and that was originally what we got got me into lgbtq i was not going to stand and hold the hand of another man that i loved and watch him die in shame and now i say to all of those who have uh, mental illness you are not alone the second you open your mouth and talk about it is when you find the community and until you find the community you will feel alone but there is a community. Go on Facebook and type in, you know, mental health and look at all the Facebook groups you can join. There's, and hell, make a Facebook page, Porky Pig, and put the picture <laughs> of a pig up if you don't want to be recognized. I get it. But not doing something about it is doing something about it. It's increasing the problem for you. Action actually comes before motivation. It sure Most does. Most people think you have to be motivated. I mean, even uh-uh. me, I, I do need to lose some weight. I'm working on it. Me too. But I wake up, <laughs> I wake up in the morning, and instead of trying to be, well, am I motivated to work out? No. I just get up. No one's motivated to work I, out. No. I get I'm motivated up, to make I, yeah. coffee. Yeah. yeah, I get up, I put on the clothes, I just take off before I'm even awake. I'm already a half mile down the road Smart. or doing whatever because I know that that continual habitual action will create motivation. And too many people are waiting for motivation. I'll go to therapy when I'm motivated or when something happens. Just do it. Just and do it. And the motivation it. will follow. Because I can guarantee you, you know, the reality is you're right. but And that goes with motion creates emotion. When you come back from your walk in the morning, that's better than any freaking cup of coffee yeah. you could have because now you're energized. You know, my favorite thing to do is wait till the evening when it's cooler if I can get up early enough I'm not a morning person and I'm okay with that if I was a gym member I would get up and go to a gym and walk in the air conditioning but I'm not a gym member so I walk in the evening and I do I just listen to positive you know and and I and it's uh, mental health also starts with our Mm self-talk I I think I'm probably one of the worst self-talkers. I used to be. Excuse me, I'm correcting myself. I used to be one of the worst self-talkers in the world. Now I tell myself, Leanne, stop. Stop. Love yourself. If you want other people to love you, love yourself first. 
and be kind to yourself. There's enough of people in the world going to shit on you later today. How about just give yourself a smile and say, you know what, honey, today you've got this. One of the things I've been processing lately, and I've been working through this as well, all that stuff you just talked about, the self-talk, especially the exercise, when I learned to reframe that, from I'm going on my walk so that I can look better, so I can attract someone. I want to go right. on my walk. And I, but I reframed it also as like, if I was on an antidepressant, I wouldn't skip it. No. And if my exercise is my medication, then I have to get up and take it because I don't skip my medication. So why would so you why skip would I that? skip my exercise? And, and you know, reframing it like that, it changes, it changes everything. how you talk about it. Not I have to, but I want to. Yeah. And here's the other thing about depression. There's a few little tricks I've learned about depression that I never knew before water intake. If you are dehydrated, <laughs> no, seriously, yeah. if you're dehydrated, it emphasizes it empowers your depression. If you don't take your medication, it empowers your depression. Exercise, just moving around your house. Get up and walk from wall to wall and count to 150. And I'll guarantee you by the time you're done, if you haven't stepped on your dog, you will, you'll be, you're up. You're already up, so now you're ready to just go do. One of my favorite little techniques on that, too, is just a, an ice-cold shower. <gasps> it is like a hard reset on your nervous system. Hard reset. And, and But it will, I mean, I, I almost challenge you, if you're in a mood, jump into an ice bath or jump into an ice-cold shower, you will not be in that mood for very long. <laughs> but see, you changed your state, and that's what people don't do. It's a state changer. Even if you are sitting on the sofa bored and miserable and want to just drink yourself to death get up and jump up and down five times for no reason you've changed your state people don't change their state they sit they eat they're in the dark and they watch tv and that is a state sucker it just sucks the life out of you whereas if you will just get up and jump up and down 10 times or scream at the top of your lungs or I like to do dance parties. Punch that a pillow. Helps. Oh my god! Dance, <laughs> dance parties dance are breaks. so fun. I like to um, I like to create songs for my dogs and then sing them while we walk around. You don't want to know them. No, it's okay. They're I like, do, I do know, the same thing. I mean, I just lie. so dumb. I, we have a poopy song and we have a we have a big yard song and you know it's just it's it's but you know what it's joyful to it's me. It's so joyful. And so I've learned to create my own little joy. And that's the other thing, companionship. Listen, if you live alone and you are struggling with depression, please go to an animal shelter. I will pay for the dog food. I will buy I will have dog food sent to you every month for your baby. And you know what? You will feel a hundred times better because when your dog is sitting next to you and farts, it changes your state. Especially if you gotta get up and leave the room. Yeah. Let's pivot a little. <laughs> I knew this. I knew this was gonna happen. Mm -hmm, now right. let's let's get into positivity. Please. Like how we, we we've gone on this journey. I, I I guess you've been doing this how long? Five years. Oh, five or six. Yeah. I'm not good with time. That's okay. That's I, okay. I will tell you. But, I'm sure everyone else is, but I'm I'm one of those people. I do things because I love it, not because yeah. I thought. Oh, in 2019, I'm gonna start. Yeah. I just I have no well, clue. You actually engage with the LGBT community, and and that's one of the things I do want to point out to our listeners. Way this before. was not part <laughs> of a scripted show. This wasn't let's exploit a community for me to get some more followers or no. whatever. Now, 
Now, I do know I've been at events with you, and you do kind of see that giddy, oh, there she is kind of thing. And I love every second of that. That's so joyful to me. But your your desire and your vision to give back to the community was authentic. And I want to I want to point that out Thank so you. That people can hear me say that. Thank you. Because, because I've, I've been, been at, a, I've been accused yeah, of it. I've been yeah. at those things with you and it's not like shows over. I guess we'll never see Leanne again. <laughs> no. You know, uh, I've probably seen her more yeah. since since that show ended for her. I have more time. <laughs> yeah. But how does that get us to partnering with Legacy Cares, creating positivity, like just take us on that whole journey of your activism? Well, I was in the LGBTQ community and met Melissa. You know, she she specifically called me into Legacy upstairs and said... Just real quick, if you didn't catch last week's episode, uh, it highlights the legacy of Melissa Grove and her 25 years as executive director at Legacy Cares. Please go back and listen to that episode. Please. She is an angel on earth. Absolute force. Angel on earth. Melissa called me in and said, I need, I think I was helping her with other events. And she said, I need, I need help with positivity. You do all these events with all these women. And I really want to get women involved in positivity for the Grace Project. And so she, at the time I was doing the show. So I said, well, let's put it on the air. So the first season, I believe we put the show on, we put, the Grace Project on with Tiffany. And I just remember the power. Like we had pre-said to everyone in the room that we were going to film. The cameras were only going to face the stage. They would not face the audience. I was very like, you know, people say I'm hard to work with when it comes to protecting people that I need to protect you. Damn right I am. And I said, you will follow these rules. You will not disobey these rules. Most of the women in this room have not even come out to their family or their children. You will face the fucking stage. Sorry. No, you will fine. face the stage. <laughs> and Melissa and I talked about it. And because at the end, I said, I'm going to invite women to come and stand in the light with me on the stage. And so we had pre-cleared like... I think 20 women who were like, you know, I'm, I'm out. It's okay. I want to come stand on the stage. I ended that speech and I bet a hundred women came up on that stage and stood with me and said, I'm going to stand in the light. I'm tired of standing in the shadow. And for me, ever since then, that moment, well, I'll, I'll never forget the moment of being an impactful human and saying to these women, you're loved. You're loved. I love you unconditionally the way that Jesus asked us to love one another. And it was just the most powerful thing ever. Powerful. I get a chance, at least for the last three or four years, I've partnered with the Grace Project and I've, I've done their video production of their I Am Red video mm-hmm. where women are telling their stories. And every time, you know, there's been years where I'm like, it's the same person. But five interviews in, I'm an emotional wreck listening to them talk about stigma and rejection and fear and, you know, misinformation. So to me, that's just one of the most powerful times every year I get a chance to sit in there behind a camera and videoing their stories. And I think and I think why I chose the Grace Project as my heartstring amongst all of the LGBTQ stuff that I do. But the Grace Project, because you men are like. HIV, it's okay, it doesn't matter, people still hug you, want to have sex with you, but a woman have HIV, that is disgusting, that is terrible, that is shameful. Well, guess what? No, it's not. 
There's no damn difference in the world. A human having HIV is a human with HIV. It does not make them any less. It is a disease. It is not who they are. And until we can separate that for women the way that we were able to separate it for men, for gay men, I will continue to have the Grace Project in my heart. Because it should... it. It doesn't make any difference. And, you know, and, and how they get it doesn't, doesn't matter. A lot of these women are, have been abandoned by their husbands who have given it to them. And now they have their kids and themselves and they have nowhere to go. They have no clue how to even take care of themselves. So it's a bigger project than just I have HIV. It's I have HIV and my life has caved in. What do I do? We talked about this a little bit last week, but... There's so much misinformation about it. What does this mean? Am I going to die? Can I still have children? Can I have a life? All of those things that came out of the 80s, and then suddenly it's like, wait, we haven't educated people. We haven't educated women. Well, because we developed medication. And so for some reason, medication means we don't have to educate anymore, which is why the Grace Project is so imperative and so important to me and to most women in the community because it's a chance for them to come together and share. You know, it's the story that I was talking about. You got to share your story so you don't feel alone. Well, these women come into the Grace Project and they're like, this medication does this to me. And a woman goes, oh my God, it did that to me too. And I switched to such and such. And now I don't have that problem. And it's there. We can women solve the majority of problems in the world. (laughs) I mean, I don't have to tell y'all that, but I saw a picture of a man with a head wrap and oxygen laying in a hospital bed unconscious. And it said what men would look like if they had a period. And, um, <laughs> and it's true. And we love y'all anyway. But women solve so much of the problems day to day in our world. And so, you know, for me, I just really feel like the Grace Project is a chance for us to come together. But the problem is we're solving our problems in secret and quiet. I remember the first year I was on the Grace Project. I went to the Grace Project. I was still really heavily on Facebook at the time. And I remember on my third page, back then I had like four pages. On my third page, someone had messaged me and said, I heard you did an amazing job at the Grace Project. And I just wanted to say thank you. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry you weren't there. Can I get you a ticket for next year? And she says, I'm, a, I'm an educator And I still haven't told anyone that I have HIV. And I'm afraid to go to the Grace Project because I don't want someone to see me and think I can't educate their children because she loved being a teacher. And that literally broke my heart. That broke, she lives in hiding because it will end her. I mean, think about her career, what she loves, how she lives her daily life. She's afraid that this diagnosis will take all of that away from her. And that's the kind of crap that we just, we can't tolerate that. I can't tolerate that. And if I can't tolerate it, I can guarantee you I'm going to make somebody else not tolerate it too. And what you're providing is such an incredible thing. What I hear from these women every year is I walked in and I suddenly realized I was not alone. Thank you. I was not. There were other women like me and they were thriving and I am not alone. And I mean, I think of that equating that back to even our coming out stories. Those of us who are in the LGBT community, that idea of the first pride parade we went to or the first time we walked into a gay bar or the first time we went, you know, oh, I thought I was the only odd, weird person. You know, Cleve Jones posted this beautiful thing 
on Facebook yesterday that was a picture of him at 17. And Cleve Jones is, is, was really, you know, involved in ACT UP and, and, and in San Francisco during the AIDS crisis. But this picture of him at 17 was like this picture of this boy was taken a week after he attempted suicide because he grew up in this small town and he thought he was the only one and that these feelings he was having and these things that he was having were just his. And then he found a place called San Francisco. Yeah. And it was that idea of like, I'm not alone. But I'm not the stigma so, that everyone's made me out to be. And that is the that is the word that I will preach until the day I die. There should never be a stigma attached to any disease ever. It is a disease. It is not who the person is. Or even a person and their identity. And their identity. It doesn't matter who you go to bed with. It doesn't matter who you go to bed as. What matters is that you go to bed happy because a happy person makes a better world. Tell our audience just positivity is is part of the Grace Project. It's, yes. It, like so... And, and that is positivity. The T is T-E-A. T-E-A. Because we're going to have some tea. Yeah, so tell <laughs> us a little bit about what that is. How do people get involved? What are the, the details? But also just why, what, what is the benefit? What do we do? Okay, so positivity is the fundraiser, sole fundraiser for the Grace Project. So what you've heard about the Grace Project, if you don't buy a ticket to Positivity, that is one less woman that we can bus in from Georgia or we can bus in from Tulsa that is HIV positive and has no idea what she's doing with her life, has no clue how to start the journey of being HIV positive, and that is where she needs to go to the Grace Project. So Positivity is our fundraiser for the Grace Project. You can get tickets at positivity tea 2022.eventbrite.com yay we're bringing in Bronwyn from the Real Housewives of Orange County who has come out as a lesbian this two years ago glad did a huge uh, article with her and you know you meet her, come meet her, talk to her. She's going to talk to you about the struggles. She's, she's struggled like all of us, you know? And so I really, when I ran into her at Jill Zarin's party in the Hamptons, I said, you know, you're the perfect person to come and really help us lead the way and take this message further than what I've taken it. And so I've asked her to come be a part of a voice for HIV positive women that we, we need. We need for this Grace Project. You realize the Grace Project is the only conference for HIV positive women in the universe not just the world in the universe ain't one on Mars there's not one in Canada there's not one in Mexico there's not one anywhere else in the world but here in Dallas Texas and so we really need to get this Grace Project going in other cities other communities we need to the more we can get the word out the more lives we can save and that is all I care about, is giving a woman a life that she deserves to live. Just like I cared about giving gay men a life they deserve. What's the location? When is it? Give us all the oh, details. Sure. Ask so that people can, can do all this and, and get their tickets it is gonna, now. It's, yes, please get your tickets now. Actually, you can go to LegacyCares.org and find a link. But it will be at the Mac Ballroom at SMU uh, September the 18th. 
and come come join us. And you know what? Even if you can't join us, do me a favor. Buy a ticket for your girlfriend and send your girlfriend. Or bring a girlfriend. We really want to get women involved. I'm getting some killer silent auction items this year, not going to lie. And I'm hoping to have an after party going somewhere, maybe the Roundup, maybe S4, maybe Sue Ellen's. I don't know. I haven't decided yet. So maybe one of those bars should just reach out to me because I'm a little busy. But come, please support the Grace Project. And even if you if you can't attend Positivity, please consider going on and just donating $25, donating $50. Sometimes a lot of these women that come to the Grace Project, you know, we put them up in the hotel for the weekend so that they can have somewhere safe to stay. And it's the first time they've ever taken a bath, you know, that they've ever had a bathtub. So make a difference for someone else. Be the difference for someone else. I don't care if you donate $5. I really don't. I just want you to be aware of the project. I want you to donate what you can, anything you have, and and help spread the word. Because the more the word is out there, the more that we can change, you know, lives can change. And that's really what we're what we all should do as humans, hold hands and change lives. That's beautiful. I know we're almost at our time today, so let me just ask this question. What is the future for Leanne Locken? It's wide, it's open, it's happy, it's bright, it's joyful. It's still going to have a lot of hurdles and a lot of pitfalls. I'm hoping none of those pitfalls have rattlesnakes in them. But you know what I have, and I'm going to keep holding on to it, is hope. It's a four-letter word, and I don't care if I have to blow it up every day with my own oxygen. But it's gonna. It, I'm gonna have hope. I'm gonna have hope that every day I help change a life. Every day. That's all I want. I just want to make someone's life better, because I remember what my life was like and how hard it was, and I just don't. I just think if you open your open your moment and DM me, DM me and tell me I'm struggling. DM me and ask me a question about what to do. You know, I get a lot of questions. How do we get involved in charity? Volunteer. It's actually not a disease. And it's really an amazing thing, you know. But just whatever you're interested in, volunteer. Go volunteer at a pet shelter. Go volunteer at a hospice. Go volunteer at breast cancer. Do what, find whatever it is that you're attached to. Find what you are passionate about and pour love into it, please. Please, because without that, we're just, the world's just going to stay where we are. And Leanne, where can people find you personally? Oh, please don't come to my house. No. Right. <laughs> Instagram, We'll Instagram. be posting the address yes. <laughs> for anyone who wants to know. All right, her. go right ahead. I'm going to warn you, my husband is a popo, so he's, we're quite armed. Um, no, uh, Instagram. Honestly, I spend most of my time on Instagram. I do tweet every now and then, but not a lot. And I rarely go to Facebook. I'm sorry. I'm 55 years old. And, and I just. So, so not TikTok? You're not a TikTok? Oh, my yet? God. I have a TikTok. It's uh, just to do anything with it. I can't figure out the tick or the talk of it. Uh, yeah. Instagram. I, you know what? I'm just like, glory be to God. I found something I know how to use. Right. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> Any other, besides positivity, obviously we want to push that, any other upcoming events or things on the horizon? Um, I've got a new magazine called Eternal Traveler Magazine. Please go follow that on Instagram. That's where I do all my world travels. We talk about different resorts that are you can go to, all-inclusive, just ways to get away and bring a little different perspective to your life. What else? I think that's really honestly like go to, go to Legacy Cares on Instagram and follow them. 
share their stories, like their pictures. Just if you, if you could do one thing for me, it is become involved in the community in which you live. No matter where you are, there is a need and you could be the person that fills it if you just open yourself up to it. Well said. Thank you, Leanne, so much for being on our show today. I mean, it is an honor to have you here. <laughs> I know we, like I said, we've interacted quite a bit we in have. and out of the community, but just taking the time to talk with our audience, to share a little bit of your mental health journey and what you're doing, it, it just means so much to me. It means so much to me to be asked. You have no idea. I think a lot of people don't think I'm willing to come on and do a podcast or do this or do that. But, you know, the truth is, again, it's speaking. If I don't speak out and there's no for me to speak out, then we can't make a difference. And that's why I'm so grateful that you have this because you are giving people an opportunity to hear something that may change their life. Wow. What a force. Yeah. Uh, Leanne definitely blew any expectations I had of her right out of the water. I mean, you know, when you've seen kind of blips of reality TV shows, you know, watch a couple episodes of The Real Housewives of Dallas. You know, that's who we just talked to in that interview we just had. Like, obviously, I knew she's this very powerful, strong personality, but... Just to hear her passion for the community, her passion for the Grace Project and positivity. I mean, and to hear about her faith and how that all plays together. It's just, I think it's interviews like this that, you know, really will give me pause next time, you know, I watch a reality TV show. And and just with anybody in general, just that kind of, wait, who is this person actually? Am Am I seeing the whole person or just what? People want me to see. It reminds me of that Saturday Night Live sketch that used to come out years ago where like somebody would run into a celebrity in the elevator. Mm -hmm. And so they don't know how to interact (laughs) with them, but they only like, they'll say their catchphrases or they'll hum their theme song, or they'll ask about something from the show. And I do think that is something that happens with celebrity when we're, you know, whether we're on a reality show or a, a sitcom or a television show, there is the character that we see, you know, portrayed or perceived and we think that's the person. And, and I think that even equates to therapy a lot of times. We can make a lot of assumptions about people when they walk into an office. Sometimes those assumptions even fall into areas of microaggressions. So to actually stop and go, here is a person, here is a human being in front of me, and they're layered, they're complex, and they have all these different nuances. You know, when you sit in an interview with them or in a therapy session with them, you you begin to see the person. And and I, I'm lucky enough to have known Leanne through a lot of the charity work and events that we've done together where I didn't see a lot of that Real Housewives because I wasn't watching it from the beginning. And then later it's like, oh, that's my friend Leanne. Maybe I should watch the show and check it out. (laughs) And then you'd see the show and go, well, that's not the Leanne that I personally know because I do see her as someone who's kind, someone who's been very selfless in giving of her time and you know, participating in causes that mean a lot to me. Yeah, I think, again, it just goes to show you that whole, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. How lucky are we to have had her on the show today? I I am excited. I'm so I was so excited when she agreed and I knew we were going to have a lot of fun together. Mm -hmm. So, so glad that we had a chance to finally sit down with Leanne Locken. Well, that's going to do it for us today for Falling Out. Make sure you do go check out Positivity or go to LegacyCares.org to purchase your tickets, find ways to donate, find ways to contribute to these amazing causes. 
Well, remember, you can't stay in the closet when the floor gives way. This is Falling Out.